didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney, and this is Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where week by week, chapter by chapter, we are going back and recapping each episode of the entire show. And we are now on to episode four in season one, titled The Body. And Colin is here with our recap. Chapter four of season one, titled The Body, debuted on Netflix on July 16th, 2016. It was directed by Sean Levy and was written by Justin Doble. It has a runtime of 50 minutes and 46 seconds. We open late on the night of Wednesday, November 9th, after Will's body was recovered from the quarry. Hopper is trying to convince Joyce that she's hallucinating about seeing a no-faced monster and also the whole I talk to Will through Christmas lights thing. He prescribes sleep. Meanwhile, at the Wheelers, Mike is still pissed at 11 for saying Will was just hiding and is still alive. That is, until Will starts singing Should I Stay or Should I Go through the walkie-talkie. Cue the opening credits. The next morning, Thursday, November 10th, Mike rallies the troops to sneak Elle into school so she can use Mr. Clark's Heathkit ham shack to get a stronger signal and hopefully talk to Will. At the same time, Jonathan and Joyce head to the morgue to meet Hopper and ID Will's body. Once there, Hopper learns that old country coroner Doug was bounced by state officials who performed Will's autopsy themselves. Joyce is convinced the body is not Will and storms out. Jonathan goes after her, and the two entertain the locals with an argument in the middle of a downtown Hawkins sidewalk. Back at the Wheelers, the boys dress up Elle like a real girl and head off to school feeling pretty good about themselves. Meanwhile, at the lab, guinea pig Shepard ventures into what's now being called the Rift, where he becomes the Demogorgon's breakfast. The cops come to school to question Nancy about Barb's disappearance, and Hopper quizzes old Doug about his getting bounced from the autopsy. Before the boys can use the ham radio, they're told by Mr. Clark that they first need to attend Will's memorial assembly in the gym. Troy is a dick, and Mike pushes him down, and just before Troy can retaliate, Elle stops him in his tracks and makes him pee his pants. While Jonathan is coffin shopping, Nancy, after admitting to her mom that she and Steve slept together, shows up and asks Jonathan about that photo of Barb moping on the diving board that she'd stuffed in her purse the day before. Then she tells him about the no-face monster that she noticed at Steve's house, and Jonathan starts putting the pieces together. Hopper is getting some answers, too, after confronting state trooper Doug O'Bannon, who found Will's body. Turns out he's a patsy and was just told to call in the body and not let anybody get too close to it. Back in the AV closet, Elle tries to channel Will, but has another flashback to a test she was put through with Brenner, where he made her telekinetically hear a man saying words in another room. Back in the real world, she taps into Will, just as he's trying to talk to Joyce through the wall back at the buyer's house. Will tells his mom he's somewhere like home, but dark and empty and cold. Jonathan and Nancy redevelop the Barb photo, enlarging it to clearly see the no-face monster. Meanwhile, Hopper breaks into the morgue where he discovers Will's body is indeed fake. His little tummy's all stuffed with fluff. Lonnie arrives to comfort Joyce, and Hopper, who's had it just about up to here, grabs the bolt cutters and breaks into the lab. The end of Chapter 4. So, have you ever heard the term Cassandra Truth? No. Okay, so a Cassandra Truth is a trope. Um, They talk about it on TV tropes all the time. So a Cassandra Mm -hmm. Truth is, is essentially a truth that the person saying knows is true and the audience knows is true, but nobody else believes is true. So Joyce and then also L. 
because L thinks yes. that Will is alive, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So my, my first notes as I'm watching this were Joyce, Cassandra Truth, someone owes her a big apology or will owe her a big apology. Next entry is L, Cassandra Truth. Somebody's going to owe her also <laughs> a big apology. <laughs> so we start with two uh, back-to-back scenes of uh-huh. two people, you know, with these Cassandra Truths. Um, we all know what's going on and somebody, <laughs> and I don't really That's recall a- it ever coming up. Again, you know, I don't think anybody ever sits down and goes, I was really wrong. You were right all along. I'm really yes. sorry. <laughs> I know? think, and I think I would appreciate that I told you so moment because that trope is very frustrating to me. I, I understand why it happens because we are privy to seeing everything that the person, that the Cassandra truth is, would you say it's happening to or? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and, and in all fairness, would you believe Joyce? no you would absolutely certainly wouldn't believe l this freaky no you know weirdo as lucas keeps calling her can he please start calling her something else yeah i think that i would believe l if i were the boys more than i would believe joyce because at least they have seen that she has these telekinetic abilities that she can you know that would lend her to a little bit more grace than Joyce, who just seems like she's spiraling into this pit of grief because her youngest son has died. Right. And keep in mind, too, we're on, what, Wednesday or Thursday? So it's only been, what, four days? Right. And she's been in her house with these Christmas lights talking to her son. And she hasn't seen him yet. That happens at the end of the episode, correct? She right. I mean, she's heard him yeah. a couple of times, but yes. this is the first time she sees him through the strawberry jello on the wall. Yep. Mm-hmm. So did, did you notice the look that Shepard gives Brenner before he walks in? Yeah, I had that written down, you know, a, did they draw straws? <laughs> yeah. Did he you volunteer? Know? Yeah. And then I'm looking at Shepard and, and he reminds me a lot of, oh, what's his name? Um, Bill Paxton's character in Weird Science. Chet? Oh, yes. He's like just kind of the buzz cut, military, stone face, chiseled jaw, jackass, kind of um, tougher than everybody kind of thing. He's got that mm-hmm. look that he's just, you know. Well, he just gives the weirdest look to Brenner. He squints his eyes. Yeah. He's like, I and, know what I'm going in for. Yeah. And I'm going in anyway. <laughs> it's you know? going to be awesome. <laughs> I think it's also oh. kind of cool because we get the payoff of, the, it was like a 30 second scene last week of this winch being lowered. And mm-hmm. we, I couldn't really tell it was a winch, but Brenner's just standing there with the same kind of look on his face as this contraption is lowered in front of him and we're like what is going on and that's uh-huh. it that's the end of the scene from last last week's episode, or the, episode I three can't stand the way Brenner talks to people I don't know if it's how he enunciates his words and it's he has a little bit of an accent but yeah. it, it irritates me it's kind of pompous maybe well I think he's he's got a air of pomposity about him mm-hmm. yeah so Right. And then we get then we get the crazy words amulet frigid evolve airplane Epica, the music Peninsula. that is that whole back- scene is great and yes. I haven't really talked a lot about tech stuff since like our first episode that we did mm-hmm. but um, I did mention a little bit about the cinematography last week but I think this was kind of the again Todd Campbell's the cinematographer and Sean Levy um, 
did the direction on this. Um, this is a second episode, but that whole scene with like, it's got like the, it's got some yeah. weird sound effects going on, some really cool music and, and they distort the, like, you know, it's an amulet, frigid, evolve, you know, it's got a, yeah. that's a, that's a great scene. Answer me this. When they, when he's reading those words and Brenner wants 11 to repeat the words instead of repeating, repeating them she just makes them come through the speaker of the whole facility i i thought brenner gave a look that kind of indicated he was a little bit shocked that she did that so it's kind of what because it's distorted it's not it's, i mean it's like it's playing through the pa system so you're saying that she made a play through the pa system that's what i thought he i, I thought this guy was in an isolated like, room yeah he's like four, four doors down the hallway we see and that and she you know brenner wants her to repeat the words and she just broadcasts them through the pa system of the facility that's interesting i'll have to go back and look at that so can you explain to me you asked me a question i'll ask you a question why is nobody organizing searches to go find barb yeah nobody cares about barb man they're very concerned about will but barb yeah. is i mean he's 12 it, she's what 16 yeah 17 i mean you got two kids go missing on consecutive days and they find her car abandoned i i don't know i don't know and obviously her parents are upset and went to the police because i know nancy says i'm gonna go visit bar or not nancy karen says that she's gonna go visit barb's parents and check on them so yeah it seems like they did at least go to the police. I don't know. Right. Nobody yeah. cares about Barb, except for the audience. She was right. like everybody's favorite character. I know. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. And we get douchebag Steve in that he only has oh. one scene this week, but he's sitting there and he's saying everybody who was at the party. And as far as we know, there were five people at the party. That is what I kept thinking too. He said everybody at the party He's, he said, they're going to have to talk to Tommy, Carol, everybody at the party. And I was thinking, Tommy That's, and Carol were the only people at the party. That was, that was everybody. And then him and Barb and Nancy. And then he, then yeah. he ends the scene with his, his, his great enthusiastic, Nancy, wait. I know, with his hands on his <laughs> hips. And he's... Yeah, it's like, I mean, there's no urgency at all. He's like, no, no. wait, Nancy. No, don't please, go. Stay. Stop. You know, he didn't... <laughs> He didn't care. No, it was kind of funny. He, uh, it's pretty so, douchey. So I mentioned it earlier. Lucas is still calling her, calling Eleven a weirdo. Um, so I guess he's moved on from Psycho a little bit, but still. But did you catch the scene when they're sitting there and they're arguing and Dustin goes, well, maybe it's Will's ghost. Maybe he's haunting us. And Mike says, it's not his ghost. And Lucas says, so how do you know that? So Lucas is okay thinking it might be Will's ghost, but he's not okay with whatever else might be going on. <laughs> it could be her ghost. What do you mean? Let's not discount the fact yeah. that it could be his ghost. <laughs> yeah. It's one of these things that just, you just watch it and you kind of, and this is one of these things that I think I just caught after watching it seven or eight times. But, you know. You're okay with a haunting, but not a parallel universe. Right. Yeah. Got it. It's exactly. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of love the scene in the auditorium where they finally 
get a little bit of revenge on Troy. And I love how Elle picks up on the fact that he's the quote unquote mouth breather that Mike has mentioned before. And she's never seen him before or anything. And I love how quickly James drops Troy. After he pees his pants, James is like, once nothing to do with him. Dude, you were dead to me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Dropped him like a hot potato. Such a typical middle schooler though. That's what they do. It was, Oh, it was, it was hilarious, but that whole scene was great. And I, and the scene before it, which I loved. Uh, with them in the hallway and introducing her to Mr. Clark. Oh, yes. Um, uh, you know, where are you from? Bad, Bad place. place. Sweden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Second cousin. Yeah. El- uh, Eleanor. Yeah. That whole, that whole thing was great. Um, and I was reading in, in our favorite book, World Story Upside Down. Um, uh, Matt Duffer is quoted as saying that Mr. Clark is a science teacher I wish I had had, but I never did have. I didn't really get into science for the longest time because my science teachers weren't exactly inspirational. How do you make this stuff, which is so interesting, so dull? I found it all so boring until I was in college and I was exposed to Cosmos and Carl Sagan. And Mr. Clark was really inspired by Carl Sagan, who seemed to me sort of like the ultimate science teacher. Oh, that's you can, cool. You can totally see that because they love mm-hmm. Mr. Clark. And yes. The kids love Mr. Clark. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a I like him because he kind of takes the the underdogs under his wing. Yeah. You know, he knows. He knows that these aren't the cool kids. No. But he also knows that they are passionate about stuff and they have a lot of potential. And they're passionate about the same stuff that he's passionate about. Mm-hmm. And even, even if there's clearly something squirrely going on, you know, he still kind of yeah. accepts it and, you know, ushers them into the into the gymnasium and mm-hmm. stuff. So I thought, I thought that was... Nobody weird. thinks it's weird that there's another kid at school. No. That doesn't no. go there. No, no. So I read that the way they dress Elle to go to school mm-hmm. is a nod to Carrie from Stephen King. I'd read that too, but I also... There's no way. That has to be Drew Barrymore from E.T. Well, yeah, the whole putting him in the dress and the blonde wig. Or not Drew Barrymore, stuff. but just the E.T. Yeah, the E.T. They use Drew, Drew dress, Barrymore's Dressed up E.T. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but... Yeah. Also from the book, it said Kimberly, uh, Kimberly Adams is a costume designer, um, designed the garment uh, based on the style, style of Polly Flinders brand clothes, uh, mm-hmm. which were really big in the seventies. I'd never really even heard of it, but they're the ones with kind Mm-mm. of, they have like the elastic bust and kind of the Peter Pan collar and the, you know, the puffy sleeves and that kind of thing. And Adams says, every little girl had the Polly Flinders. And we did many of those dresses. We found a fit that felt right for the character and then played with the wig so we could marry the whole look. The embroidery on the thing was all hand done. She did that herself. Um, she said, I went to the fabric store wanting to find a fabric that was not quite pink, not quite peach, not too hot pink and settled on what was to me almost like an in-between peachy and pink. It felt just sweet enough. But then the twist was putting in the Chuck Taylor shoes and the, uh-huh. athletic, the athletic socks, but yeah. So Polly Flinders was the inspiration that I had seen for that. Though I did, I did read somewhere about Carrie, but I didn't get Carrie at all from that. So I don't know. Not if that at was, all. Yeah, if that was someone reaching or or what that was. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't. I, if any, I, I immediately thought ET when I saw the the uh, outfit. Definitely oh, I did not. Too. Yeah. Not anything with Carrie. No. And I, I've never heard of this Polly, did you say Flinders or Polly, Flinders? Yeah, Polly Flinders, F-L-I-N-D-E-R-S, Polly yeah, Flinders, yeah. I've never heard so, of that before. Yeah. 
Um, so another little interesting note, a little further on when um, Jonathan and Nancy are in the darkroom developing the pictures, I was reading um, Garrett Castleberry's recap from Pop Matters that he wrote back in 2016 after he saw it. And he said that this was really an interesting kind of a turning a point. And he called it, he, he called it kind of the Goonies romance swap. He was, this is the beginning of, um, you know, how Andy and Troy um, mm-hmm. are together in Goonies and then she ends up with Brand. So this was kind of like Nancy is with the jock and then she starts, you know, gravitating. Doing the swap and, and gravitating towards Jonathan. So you can kind of see that. Guy. So I thought that was an interesting little parallel that I hadn't really caught before. But, you know, once it gets pointed out to me, like, oh, yeah, okay, Goonie Romance. Yeah, swap. sort of, but... That. But also, I think that's just something that it's common in movies. Oh, it is. I I think it is common. Yeah. And this could be one of those things that it it could be a reach, you know, who knows? But, you know, I kind of I kind of bought it. Maybe. So we're ready to get on to the big question. Yes. So last week I affirmed that Nancy and Steve did not sleep together and were just making out all night. Uh-huh. So then we have the scene where she comes flying in the door and tells her mom, and she's all pissed off that Steve and I slept together. Is that what you want to hear? So now, you think she's just saying that, like, is that what you want to hear? Right. Or yeah. is she lying? Or did... she definitely? <laughs> I know. I know. I I had forgotten that that one little right. Scene, they but... definitely had sex for sure. I think my little puritanical brain was was hoping against hope that my beloved little Miss Perfect Nancy was... She was getting dressed. I know. I know. God love it. But no, they... And she was she was holding on dearly. She she doesn't go anywhere without this trapper keeper. And oh actually, my gosh. I found it online. I was just looking up 80s trapper keepers and her hot air balloon trapper keeper. They're back this year. Trapper keepers are making a comeback. I, lo- I had one. I, I had many. I can't wait for Evie to get one for school yeah. this year. I'm going to yeah. make her get one. Yeah. So I got a picture of it. So we'll put that up on our Twitter page. But it was, um, yeah, it, and it's the same one. And she's just holding on to it for dear life the whole time she's Loves talking it. to her mom. Yeah. yeah. I can never get over how tiny Natalia Dyer is. She, she really is. Miniature. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's adorable, but she is so teeny tiny. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think about, obviously we have the morgue scene and the, and the stuffing in, in Will. I, I think, yes, really creepy because every time somebody takes a scalpel and stabs it into human skin, I'm just like, I'm not looking and flinching. It's the sound it makes. Yeah. But it's... why why not end the chapter there? You know, he pulls out the fluff boom we're all the closing credits right but then we still get two little quick scenes we got lonnie showing up uh-huh right and then we got hopper with the bolt cutters at the lab and then it ends but what do you think about ending where it did instead of ending yeah i think it should have ended with him pulling out the stuffing and i was reading that artists don't like to do full body models of children and right. they typically won't do it. So they, this, the actual body of Wills was a full body mold of a very petite woman with his right. head. Right. Yeah. 
So I, I never think about that stuff when I think about it in universe. So I think about where did the people at this lab have the time to make Will's exact head and body if they've never met Will? <laughs> right. They've only seen pictures of him. Yeah. Which How is, did they know? Which is clearly why they missed the birthmark on his right arm, presumably. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what sends Joyce into a tizzy. But yeah. Which that's just shoddy work. If If you're going to... If you can already tell, you're tapping this woman's phone, you're hearing her talk to her son and the phone blows up and, you know, they're here, they're hearing these things because her phone is tapped. They've listened to her at this point. Yes. You would realize that she is on a mission to find what happened to her son and she does, she's not buying this. So you think that they would be, especially with a birthmark on the arm. I mean, inner thigh maybe they could forget but one that's right on the arm yeah shoddy get it together brenner i know stuff comes back to bite you uh see i had two more other quick notes one and this is just a thing that has always annoyed me and it's not just stranger things it's everything people interrupting each other on walkie talkies when you can't physically do that and it drives me nuts though lucas 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 you know Mm -hmm. and Oh, it's just people. I never thought about it, but understood the fine art of half duplex communication, which means you can only talk one person at a time. And as long as you have the button pushed, you could have it pushed for six months and people couldn't talk to you. So you nobody. that's why you say over, you say over, you release the button, then you can keep talking and the other person can talk or whatever. It's just just always bugged me. I wrote it down here. I'm like, oh, for God's sakes, Lucas. I need, I need that feature in real life for me so that I don't interrupt people. So that, see, that would be good. Can you imagine yeah. if iPhones were like half duplex instead of full duplex? <laughs> so you could, <laughs> you could only talk to people on an iPhone or oh, like, a regular, on like a regular telephone. You know, you I just, just want, you know, I just want that installed into like my voice box. Oh, where, that'd be nice. Yeah. I would appreciate that. Sure. I real bad about <laughs> interrupting you. So <laughs> The only other thing I had to mention was a really quick scene when they were, when the kids were pedaling to school and just seeing 11 looking around, this is like, it's really her first time other than meeting them at the power lines. This is really mm-hmm. her first time of like being out in public. And she's like seeing cars and buildings and sunshine and stuff. And just a look of fascination on Millie Brown's face. I know. It's just so great. It was just a neat little, neat little scene. Yeah. I, the only other note I had was that this, the title, the body was a, little head nod to Stephen King's The Body, right? which was turned into the movie by Stand By Me and the Duffer Brothers, I believe. I believe it was the Duffer Brothers that said they were really inspired by that. Yeah, yeah, they mentioned that. Yeah, I don't know if it was Matt or Ross, but they did say that. Then you had the, um, there's a lot of Stephen King in this episode, obviously. The Shining with the axe through the wall, you know, kind of the Jack Nicholson. They said, you know. I saw that The Shining was that you saw a set of croquet mallets. And yeah, but see that. Um, see, see, I think that's people are reaching. I think so too. Uh, but then um, the uh, state trooper was reading Cujo in the hallway when Hopper mm-hmm. comes up and beats him in the face. So that was there. We had the ET dress wig. Yeah. Neat little bit of um, trivia was the cameo of Sean Levy as the morgue guy with the uh, mask on. So you see him. You see him in the reflection first when Joyce and Jonathan are looking at the body and the and the 
the mortician or whatever the coroner mm-hmm. pulls the thing so that's his reflection and then he actually comes out into the lobby and is trying to get Joyce to sign the paperwork that's Sean Levy who directed the episode yes. and is you know the executive producer so that was kind of neat yep. um David O'Bannon, um, the state trooper, was named after Dan O'Bannon, mm-hmm. um, who was the screenwriter for Alien and Total Recall. And there's a lot and a of other stuff. I get a lot of Alien vibes anytime they're in the lab with the upside yeah. down when they're wearing those suits. And it's right. funny that you mentioned Bill Paxton because it made me think of him in Aliens, right? Where he, you know, he had that kind of swagger to him in that movie too. Yep. One other little bit of trivia and then one other little observational thing like the 11 scene. The next time you watch it, if it's not immediately after this, because I'm what I'm telling you, when Jonathan and Joyce are having the argument in the sidewalk, um, Joyce is walking along. Jonathan gets out of his car. He crosses the street. Look behind him at the woman who is also at the crosswalk as he's I crossing saw a the woman. street. Yeah. And just, just watch her. And she is like looking left, looking right, looking left looking right like she's like looking for traffic but it makes no sense she's like what am i doing what am I left, then I'm left, left. okay then i'll look at this way. then i'll look back this way okay it's, it's so probably an extra funny. it they is just completely told, an extra and they're like just act like you're crossing the street mm-hmm. yeah oh it's just so funny they didn't um, tell her maybe they told her pretend you're crossing a super busy highway right exactly so and then the last thing and i think this is the best thing um the uh the prank with noah schnapps uh parents did you hear about this no okay so the duffer brothers got this full body thing Mm -hmm. of noah schnapp plays will um and they set him up in like a closet like perched him up on a stool in a closet and had noah schnapp's mom come in and they let it kind of like freaked her out with it they kind of showed it to her (laughs) she like jumped a thousand feet apparently but i would have died but then told him it was just so awesome. It was just such an awesome thing. So um, it says, the show of the prop body says, we immediately took Noah's mom aside, told her we had something to show her, led her into a dark closet where we had propped up this frighteningly realistic corpse of her son. After the initial shock, she loved it and then posed for pictures with the fake corpse, Ew! which she then texted to her friends. So how awesome is that? I mean, it was just so great. I would have been so freaked out. Yeah. Oh, so freaked out. I love that. So... Okay, are we ready uh, Ready to move on to our happy little your... segments? Yes, do you want your call-in moment? Okay, so my call-in moment um, in this episode came kind of early on when Karen is talking to Mike and goes into his room and says this. You can stop by the video store on the way back, pick out whatever you want, even R-rated. My, oh, are there more magical words in the English language to a 12-year-old boy in 1983 than video store? No. I mean, oh my heavens. I just immediately flashed back because it was well, it was like the ultimate treat. I mean, it was oh, borderline, yeah. borderline better than Chuck E. Cheese. Not quite, but I mean, arcade, video store, record yeah. store. I mean, so did it, was the cherry on top when they would say you can get a rated R movie? You can get R rated movies. Absolutely. In 1983. In 1983 when I'm 12 what, years old. What was even on rated R? Because in PG movies, they're showing, you know, naked girls and stuff. Right. I know. So but what see, was I rated was, R? Because I remember, so Red Dawn was the first PG-13 movie or Dreamscape, whichever. I, I heard Gremlins was the first PG-13 movie. Nope. 
<gasps> it was Red Dawn. I've been lied to. Yes. Continue. So anyway, so I remember that was huge when that came out. And we're like, ooh, now we can see these movies that, you know, whatever. Now, my, my parents are very strict. And I actually didn't see R-rated movies unless it wasn't with them. Unless it was like with friends at a party or something like that. Because um, I remember the first R-rated movie I saw by myself was The Untouchables. Um, but the first R-rated movie I saw in a theater, I saw Beverly Hills Cop 2 with my dad. He took me to go see Beverly Hills oh, Cop 2. My first was Pretty Woman at 10. Good Lord. Yeah, my mom fast-forwarded through all the sex scenes, and I right. just thought she was the really nice lady. I didn't know. I thought the part at the beginning of it was just her getting out different kinds of bubble gum. <laughs> but yes, so video store. It was just, I, lo- I mean, I worked at a Blockbuster for three or four years. I mean, I just, I mean, oh. Blockbuster wasn't around. At first, Blockbuster came around in 85, but they didn't really get popular until yeah. the 90s, 91, 92, somewhere in there. So, um, but we had, you know, it was the mom and pop video stores, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, corner video or, you know, Hitchcock's is what we had Hitchcock. Smith street video or whatever. So, um, but oh, I, I did love the video store. If you've never seen the last blockbuster, the documentary came out about a year ago. Very, very well done. Yes. Um, agreed. Oh, oh, the video stores at your video store. Were you allowed to go in and claim the posters and cutouts? If nobody else had claimed them first, yeah, I mean, you could you you could kind of put your name on them or something like that. And actually, oh. my my drama teacher slash high school swim coach ran the video store that we went to most often, so he knew me, mm. you know, and you know that kind of you know you could certainly do that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you could you could you could put your names on things or say, hey, oh. you know, can I have that or can I buy that? You know, I'll give you a buck for it or you know whatever. Yeah, I was the kid that did it. We because we went to the videos for every Friday after school. That was like our treat. Yeah. And I would put my name on everything. Yeah. Everybody so, probably. Yeah, it. I got I got all I got all warm and tingly inside when she said, "Let's go to the video store and you can pick out something R-rated." So that was my call-in moment. Excellent. Okay, so you want to play a, a quick round of where in the world is? Yes. Okay. I'm excited for this one. Okay, so we have two this week. The first one is, it's actually kind of odd. It's Roan County, um, which is the coroner's, um, when they go to the coroner's, it says Roan County uh, coroner. But then later on in the bar, we hear Hopper. Because, you know, I know for a fact that it's run by the Sadler Company, Frank Sadler, decent guy. He's still got a couple operational quarries up in Roan. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So he calls it, Rohan there, but it's kind of, it's still, I think it's the same place. It's subtitled as the same place. So Roan County, real, fake. And if it is real, where is it? Okay. So you're thinking it's weird because Hopper pronounced, because it's Rohan. spelled R-O-A-N-E. So yes, maybe but he, he kind of, it kind of sounds like he says Rohan. Like an H, like he threw an H in there. Yeah. Something was kind of weird, but whatever. We're going to, okay. we're going to assume that he meant to say Roan. Yes. Said it weird. I'm going to guess that it is a real county i'm gonna guess it's a real county in georgia because i feel like lots of stuff is in georgia okay so part one good call good good call but part two no no. absolutely not roan county is a real county but it is in tennessee Mm. and it is the home of the oak ridge national lab which is very similar in all respects to the Hawkins National Laboratory 
Um, they worked on the Manhattan Project there and a couple other high tech. It's one of these, you know, castle on a hill kind of freaky places that mm-hmm. nobody's ever been in, but it's always been there kind of thing. So we're thinking that the Duffer Brothers somehow drew tripped, some inspiration, drew some inspiration from that. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's number one. Number two is the town of Jonesboro, which we hear mentioned in the school assembly when the principal says, "I'd like to introduce you to Sandy Sloan." She's a local grief counselor from the church over in Jonesboro. Hmm. So Jonesboro, real, fake. And if it is real, where is it? Jonesboro's a pretty common name. So I'm going to guess it's real. And I'm going to guess that it's in Indiana. Let's see. Now, if you had stuck with your original thought on Roan County being real, Dang in, it. real and in Georgia... Reeling in Georgia. That's so the answer. Again, you got kind of kind of right. Good call. Good good call. And kind of wrong. No, 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 absolutely not. Half a so, point. So Jonesboro is a real town in Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And I was actually looking just out of curiosity because I'm such a geek and obsessive nerd about this kind of stuff. So I went into Google Maps. And they do all their filming in Jackson, Georgia, which is kind of southeast of Atlanta. And sure enough, as you're taking the highway, presumably, as everybody did, back into Atlanta every night to go to your hotels or whatever after a long day of filming. That's Jones- all they s- Jonesboro Road exit is right outside of Atlanta. So that's probably yeah. where they got it from. So that's for sure where they got it from. Yeah. So so you got two half points. So one point total. There you go. Okay, let's drop the record and talk about music. Okay, music-wise, so we had the the, uh, recurrence of the clashes, Should I Stay or Should I Go, that Will sings. And the kids refer to it, or Mike actually refers to it as that weird song he loves. (laughs) I I don't know why Mike doesn't like Should I Stay or Should I Go, but I don't really know if I would call it a weird song. It's a fairly standard yeah song as far as music and rock music at the time went but you know whatever it's called a real real weird song he loves but the other song that actually gets played is uh joy division's atmosphere and this is the song that is at the beginning of the chapter when um joyce and hopper are talking and then it eventually you find out that it's what Jonathan is listening to is in, in his headphones when he's lying on his bed. So this is, okay. um, yeah. Joy Division's atmosphere came out in March of 1980, never charted. It's a Joy Division song. So why would it, <laughs> uh, came out, uh, actually two months before Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division, uh, committed suicide. Um, Ooh. so it never really, you know, gained much traction so, even though it didn't chart. Um, I did see in 2018 NME, the, um, music uh the music rag in england um listed it as the number one song on their list of the 20 greatest goth tracks of all time so really joy division's atmosphere so yeah joy division was kind of the precursor to new order after after ian curtis um died the the rest of joy division formed new order and that's how we got new order but yeah so huh interesting okay So I want to start a new, before we get to our superlatives, which are coming quickly, I wanted to start a new segment this week, which we're going to call the Steve Harrington douchebag meter. The douche-a-meter. 
It's because she's been dating that douchebag Steve Harrington. Yeah, she's smart, you douche. And you were a douchebag. Figured week week by week, we've we've talked about how eventually Steve kind of starts redeeming himself, and he started out really rapey in the original treatment, and and he wasn't quite that bad, but you know he kind of redeemed himself over the chapters two and three. But now we're right back into full Steve douchebag mode in this chapter. He only has that one scene with Nancy where he's more concerned about getting in trouble with the cops and beer and his parents and all that kind of stuff than missing Barb. So. Where would you put Steve if we're going to do a zero to 10 scale? Pretty high up there this, this week. week. We're just, just straight this week. Just this week. Where is Steve on the douchebag meter? 10 being I'm... absolutely douchey, rapey, awful, God, terrible person and zero. To... He's definitely, he's not rapey, but he is definitely at least an eight on the meter because he doesn't care at all. That Nancy's upset. He doesn't care that Barb's missing. He's just concerned that his dad's going to find out that he drinks some beer. Yeah, I was putting him at seven and a half, eight. So I think we're we're right on line. Pretty, on one, so. pretty. All right. So Steve, you're on notice. You're at an eight on the douchebag of meter. So we need to bring it down a notch. That's what we're saying. All right. Time for our weekly superlatives. Here we go. Ooh. Okay. Four. Best line. Yes. Hit me. I have bad place because <laughs> it tickles me that she just, she doesn't say a word. She's quiet the whole time. And then all of a sudden they're and it's Sweden is what they're talking about, which makes it even funnier. Yeah. I had on mine. I had bad, bad place, period, Sweden, period. No, sweet. We had the same one. So we had the same best line. So I, yeah. love, that. I love that scene. Yeah, um, it's great. Okay. Uh, most spirited most 80s thing i went with the cigarette vending machine because there is maybe three places left on earth that there's a cigarette vending machine and i guarantee (laughs) you it's somewhere in the south and it's probably somewhere in georgia or something but it you could just you know back then cigarettes were what dollar 50 a pack you're you're talking in the hideaway in the hideaway bar right that's that's yeah yeah yeah, in the hideaway bar sorry yeah yeah, you can see it in the background. There's, yeah. a, you know, for people that don't want to leave their drinks, but still want to get their smokes. I think they're illegal. Well, I know they're illegal here in Vermont. I think they're illegal. They used to be- because how, yeah, how are they going to like track who gets them? Right. I remember because I moved up here early, mid nineties and they were still there when we went out to bars. Remember they used to be I vaguely remember- but they're nowhere now and you can't smoke Mm -mm. anywhere now and Mm -mm. you know but yeah i remember walking into restaurants and saying smoking and non-smoking and i remember i remember airplanes people smoking on airplanes which is so crazy to me that really is nuts oh yeah so that's a good that's a very good 80s thing that's a good catch uh i went with and this is this is another one of those things that you're going to go back and watch after i mention it just just like the woman at the crosswalk (laughs) um but the the costumes on every single child in the gymnasium at the assembly. Go oh, back, just go back and look. Yes. Because there, there is a lot of corduroy, a lot of muted colors, a lot of browns and navy blues. Mm-hmm. There was, I think there was one, if you look kind of as they're walking out, there's a tall blonde girl in the background. She has a Laura Ashley dress on. And when's the last time you saw a Laura oh. Ashley dress? Um, 
but yeah, by and large, it's like rust colored corduroys and scuffy sneakers. And were we thinking? Yeah. But I mean, there's no bangly neon earrings. Mm -mm. There's no keyboard ties. There's no. Well, I think. I think I guess I think that was kind of mid to later eighties anyway, yeah, but still. But so still. this is before we kind of but I mean seriously, it's it's worth just hitting a freeze frame and just right looking. As, right as they right as the kids go in and the door slams and everybody looks at them. If you just pause it real quick, you can see I mean I mean terrible. I mean, 30 kids away on the bottom row, there's a pair of like 80s <laughs> Adidas sneakers on this kid, and they're like eight. I mean, they could have completely cheated and, you know, and who would have ever known if, you know, but every kid in that place is so 80s, early 80s. And so and there's no way that those are actual vintage pieces, I wouldn't think, because they would fall apart, I would think. I don't, I don't know how much, you know, kudos to Kimberly Adams, the mm-hmm. costume designer we talked about earlier. But I mean, I mean, I don't. See, but these aren't the kind of things that you would get at a vintage store. Why would you go to a vintage store to? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. They so have to be made. specifically tailored for the Something. show. Yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. okay, all right. Most strangest. Uh, that went to Will's fake body because ick, just gross. I, I hated I said, it. I said stuffing, so we're right on yes. the same page on that one too. Yeah, just go too team. Creepy. It's okay, like we share the same brain. It's... I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, MVP of the episode, chapter four, the body. I went with Hopper because. Are you kidding me? MVP oh Hopper. Are you really? It's, it's right here on my notes in front of me. MVP Hopper. Hopper. Well, he just did a fantastic job, and he just the way he comes in into the bar and he starts lying to that guy. He just strikes up a conversation because he knows. Yeah. And he's like, why are you lying to me, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want you to think that I, I was upset with your choice. Yeah. I couldn't believe oh, it. I, was, I thought, we, I was like, did I pick yeah, Hopper no. for every week? We, we, <laughs> we, we went, we had the exact same thing for three of the four. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought um, to date, this was David Harbour's best episode. I thought mm-hmm. he was so great in it. And again, it's something we talked about, I think back on the second episode we did when, we, when, uh, Hopper was talking to Joyce about the phone call and he was just super calm and super mm-hmm. soothing and, and he was not condescending. He was not upset. And it's the same thing at the start of this chapter too. He, he's just sitting there and he's, he's like, this woman has obviously lost it, but she's, you know, mm-hmm. she's lost her child. She's probably hasn't slept in three days. So let's give her a break. And, you know, we have a little bit of a history, if not more, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that he handles this whole um episode i thought was just great he did such a good job i just love him and then to end with him you know clanging on the, mm-hmm. with the bolt cutters i thought it was i thought it was great so but even yeah. the look on his face when he's getting ready to and this is another one of those go back and look at this things when he's getting ready to cut into will's body just the look on his face yes. he's just like do i really am i right yes. i think i'm right i'm not sure if i'm right I i'm think about I'm right. to but if yeah. i'm not I yeah. just have stabbed a yeah. knife into a kid's corpse. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I think that does it for our talk on chapter four of the body. Anything else yes. we didn't get to or. Nope. I think we covered it all. So all right. if you guys have any questions for us, or you want to throw in a vote for a superlative for an episode, you can always email us at scoops, pod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials at scoops, pod. 
and we update with fun little Easter eggs, would you say, from the show, from our show? Yeah, little, little, little pictures and little, yeah. little nifty things. So you can kind of see what we're talking about. Next week, we're covering chapter five, the flea and the acrobat. So I want to thank everybody for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Pixabay.